As we prepare to look deeper into God's word today, I'm going to ask you to listen intently as Lisa Harmon reads our scripture passage for us today. John chapter 14, verses 21 through 27. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thank you, Lisa, for reading those words. Imagine, imagine that you are with a person whose whole world is beginning to fall apart. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a family, but their whole world seems to be crumbling and they're scared. They're scared. What do you tell them? What gets you to the point where you can say, so in light of all this, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. What will get them to that point? Or, or imagine with me that you are talking with a kid and it's late at night and they're scared of something. I can recommend a great book that's called when we, Why We Say Goodnight, written by Champ Thornton. But imagine you don't have that book with you. What do you say to them? What if they're, what, what if they're afraid of something that is imaginary? But what if it's real? What are you going to say to them so that you can say, you see, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Or imagine you were talking to someone middle-aged, maybe a senior adult, and maybe that person has been steady their whole life, but not now. They are feeling like movement. Things are starting to get shaky. There's a medical scare. There's a move that they have to anticipate. There's a career change. There's something with the kids, something with the grandkids, something's not right. What are you going to say to them so that you can, you can tell them, like, here's why you don't have to be afraid. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples who are with Jesus in the passage we read, we have to remember they left everything to follow Jesus. And they had done that for three years. The thought of Jesus not being present, because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the fact that he's leaving. And even worse for them, he's talking about dying. Imagine being with him for years and then not being able to ask him your questions. Imagine being with him, but now you're not going to be a part of his group like it had been before. You're not going to enjoy his immediate company. And you, can you imagine, just imagine with me walking with Jesus for year after year after year and hearing his words of affirmation, his words of honesty, his words of encouragement, all the time directed toward you, just the right thing said at just the right moment. And now you are being told all that's going. 
because he's leaving. It's going to be hard. And that would bring some legitimate anxieties and fear. You actually need a reason not to be afraid if you're those disciples. This section, actually, that Lisa read a moment ago is going to end with Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So we've been walking. I know we've been walking through this passage for a few weeks now, and I know we've kind of hunkered down on some of the same themes, but I think it's so important. Jesus keeps reinforcing and kind of drawing out new meaning, new applications for this. He started the chapter in John 14 saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he's still continuing. Nowhere in John 14 do I find a formula, but I do find a lot of help, a lot of help. And so when we find ourselves with unsettling times, fear-producing circumstances, really tiring circumstances, and when that's combined with, we're not exactly sure what God's doing, or we're at least not exactly sure of his timing, or if we're being gut-level honest, which we should be before the Lord, we're not exactly sure that things are going to work out for our good, even though we, we sang about it a moment ago. If we listen closely, we can be helped. And I want to make sure that you realize that the place Jesus is going to take us in this passage is relationship. So he's not going to offer simplistic answers. There's not going to be slogans. There's not going to be this magic quest that we can go on. He's, he's not going to tell them to draw on their inner resources, to you know, be tough, be brave. It will be about a relationship. And it's so deep, yet I hope there's some things we can process very, very clearly as we hear from Jesus. Let's dig in. Do you see verse 21 there? Let's look at it again. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. This is about a relationship, a relationship of love. Jesus doesn't just want people who are going to check the box for him for their religious affiliation. Jesus isn't like this local politician wondering he can count on your vote when it comes November. This is something very, very different. Jesus wants us to love him, to be devoted to him. We talked even last week about what it means to receive and accept the commands that he gives, which are never burdensome, which are always for our good. And keep reading in verse 21 because he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus loves us and promises to reveal himself. Show something very personal about him to us. To the ordinary disciples who love him. Why can Jesus tell us at the end of all this, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be overwhelmed with trouble. It's because of this that the father and son are united in loving us. Father and son are united in loving us. That's exactly what this passage says. The love relationship that we have entered into with Jesus means that we are loved not just by Jesus, but also we are loved by our Heavenly Father as well. There is this awful thinking sometimes that suggests it's almost better to leave the the God of the Old Testament and kind of just really, really focus on Jesus. Almost like an upgrade because he's the one that really, really loves us and the God of the Old Testament we're not so sure about. But you can't do that because our Heavenly Father talked about in the Old Testament is the God that is full of compassion, full of mercy, unfailing love. Thousands of generations, he's showing his steadfast love. 
we start with a God of love and we learn that he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. He sent Jesus into this sinful world to die for us. When we talk about the extent of love, death comes up because even in a wedding ceremony, it's like till death do us part. Or when we want to say like, I love you so much, I would be willing to die for you. I mean, we know what it means to kind of really say, I'll do whatever it takes. I love you. I care that much. So if you're, if you're out of the puppy love stage, you realize that love is going to cost. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. My father loves you. And I love you as well. Any parent worth anything knows this. You have such deep love, even when your heart is absolutely breaking. You're still so committed. It goes so far beyond a feeling. You've made a choice. You're, you're in it to love this person. Love in the middle of failures. Love in the middle of struggles. Love in the middle of everything about a person that may be unlovable. You're committed. You've made a choice. It'd be easier. It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it be, to be apathetic, to like, who cares? If you're going to act that way, who cares? But love doesn't leave that option. I wonder if a moment ago when we heard those words sung, and, and I hope you were singing along, I stand amazed. See, I'm not sure we're always there, and I'm positive we need to be there. Amazed that he would love me. Jesus loves you. Or is that old news to you? It ought to just stun us that the father and son are united in loving us. That could be so personal to us today. We need to hear the words and we don't just need to hear them. We need to believe them. Why do we not have to be overwhelmed with anxiety? It's because we have a father and a son that are united in loving us. But there's a follow-up question that one of the disciples asked. It says in verse 22, right? Judas, not as scared, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're gonna manifest yourself to us and not to the world? If you're gonna reveal who you are, and I mean, Judas, not as scary, it was one of those 12 that had seen the power of Jesus Christ and seen the glory of Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ. Like when you put that on display, how is everybody not going to see it? And listen to Jesus' answer. He says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. What he's talking about in this revealing himself is for now an internal experience, something that happens in our heart, a transformation, an assurance. But Judas has this question and Jesus makes sure we realize that there is, I think embedded in this is an invitation because Jesus says, listen, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, anyone, this is the way Jesus talked. He would, wor he would use words like whoever. He would give an invitation without qualification saying, you come. You come follow me. Whoever, if anyone. The words of Jesus are just filled with these kinds of invitations. And they extend today. But the facts and the reality are that many won't follow. Many will choose not to love because they have other things on their mind. They have other things more important. And maybe you did for a while until you were gripped by the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe you know what this means. 
Many will not choose to come to him. Many will not choose to love Jesus because they, ah, they see the world a little bit differently than what Jesus is saying. They'll never submit to his authority. They'll never think they're in need. They'll never be convinced that he is the way. They're convinced they're smart enough to kind of choose their own adventure. And any sort of exclusive claim of Jesus, like I am the way, the truth, and the life, uh, I'm not sure that's the way I want to walk. And so they go the other way. Jesus, on one hand, gives an invitation, but the reality is many will not listen and will not come. But those who believe, those who receive, those who love, they actually get another promise. Did you hear it? They get another promise, the love that, the love that stems from deep trust in the Father means that the, the Father and Son take up residence in us. So we could say this as well. The Father and the Son are united, not just in loving us, but also in living with us. Jesus says that we will, we will reside with him. We will reside with her. We will make our home with him. We will dwell with him. We will dwell with her. We will live with them. Jesus is making a promise. I'm going to live with you. God with us, you might have a picture of even where it all started for me. When I read that, I think, and that's almost like the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, there's this communion with God, God's present. I don't know what that presence would exactly be like, but they had a real relationship with God where there was real communion, real presence of God, and then that was broken. But now this picture of God coming to dwell with his people, it's being restored, not just in a tent, not just in a tabernacle, not just in a temple even, but personally. And now it's not even just where Adam and Eve were at the, the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2. It's actually with restoration included and redemption included and atonement included and forgiveness and redemption. What a beautiful promise. God will live with us. And that, get, that promise even gets better when I realize that living with someone can be quite difficult. Living with someone can get old really quickly. When I thought about that, I thought about our first year of marriage. I think it was at least in year number one or year number two when Sean and I were married and we had some friends from college that were going to be coming through our town and they asked if they could stay with us. And I promise you, I heard them ask if they could stay a couple of days, a couple of days. And they weren't like super close friends. And we knew them, but not super close friends. But we said, sure, you can stay with us for a couple of days. And they stayed, like somewhere the wires were crossed, they stayed like over a week. It was eight days, but who's counting, right? It <laughs> was not fun. They were a little odd, a little quirky. And it just got old. The mornings got old. The evenings got old. Like we just wanted our house back. We didn't want to live with anybody. We just wanted our house back. And before I get too far down that road, just a few moments of self-awareness would make you ask the question, would make me ask the question, would it really be that fun to live with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? That's why I know my wife and my kids are the most amazing people in the world because they have to live with me that, that amount. I mean, think about it. Would, it. would it be that much fun to never leave your side? Wouldn't you understand why it'd just be easier to kind of move out or avoid being with you? So Jesus knows everything, knows everything about you, knows everything about me. The Father knows everything about you, knows everything about me. And still he makes this promise. I'm going to reside with you. I'll never leave you. 
I'm gonna give you a taste of new heavens and new earth. They're gonna break through right now. My presence is going to be with you until the end of the age. I'm, I'm with you. Why do we not have to be overwhelmed with anxiety? Because Father and Son are united and living with us. Let's keep reading. In verse 24, he says, whoever does not love me doesn't keep my words. And the word that you hear is actually not mine. Maybe not mine alone, but the fathers who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. There's an emphasis, did you hear it, on words and speaking. Jesus says something very, very bold. He says, when you hear my words, you're actually hearing God the Father's words. So you know the saying, like I know, the, the saying, talk is cheap. But not this talk. Talk can be cheap, but not the words of Jesus. Not the words of Jesus. We are hearing the words, the voice of of one who we know from Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's the power of his words. Or as Psalm 33-6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So this talk is not cheap. Hebrews 11-3, the universe was created by the word of God. Hebrews 1-3, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Matthew 4, 4, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There's power in the words of God. So when Jesus speaks, it means something. So why do we not have to be upset, disappointed, even devastated? Why not? Why not, Jesus? He would say, because Father and Son are united in speaking to us. Not just loving us, not just living with us, but speaking to us. Jesus could say, my sheep, they hear my voice. We aren't left to wonder, I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what Jesus thinks. I wonder what he wants. I wonder what he commands. Jesus says, you're hearing my words, and in hearing them, you're hearing from God, the Father. I'm speaking to you, not at you, and you're hearing God, the Father's voice, his words. The pronouns change a little bit, even, even as he's talking. He looks these disciples in the eye and begins using the word, you, not just if anyone, but he's saying, if you. Judas Iscariot is gone. So we have disciples. We have disciples now who had believed in Jesus, who had received his words. Jesus says he would be glorified in them and through them. And yet we have disciples who will fail and falter and deny and run away. But yet these are the very disciples Jesus loves so deeply, is going to be present with. And continues to speak to. It would be easy for Jesus just to storm off. He knows, he knows what's going to happen that evening. It'd be easy for him to storm off and say, you know what? I'm not going to keep talking if you're going to mess it up. You know what? You figure it out. I'm not going to talk anymore. But Jesus keeps giving grace. His words still are going to ring true in their ears. They will return. They will be restored. They will believe. They will preach. They will give witness to who Jesus is. Why do you not have to be afraid? Because father and son are united in speaking to us. Jesus says, I've been talking and I've been telling you things while I'm here. So that when I go away, you'll believe. So that you'll believe. Listen to what I'm saying. Believe it. These are just amazing promises from Jesus Christ and from the father to make sure that disciples don't feel insecure and unloved, but 
you kind of think, well, what else do they need? I mean, Jesus has said all these words, but there are a couple limitations even with what Jesus has said because the disciples have to have these. I would think they would have these in their mind. And if not, Jesus at least is anticipating that they could ask these questions. One is, they may have the issue and limitation that I would have, that you would have, and that is just ignorance. Just ignorance. We may not understand or appreciate all of what it means that we are loved in this way. Can you really take in the love of God? Or would there be some aspect of that that you're, you would not pick up on the first glance? What if we don't get the full implications of it? We're human, so what if we can't really take in the fact that God would reside with us, that God speaks to us? What if we need help in understanding that? What if our mind and our heart just can't take all that in? And not, not just ignorance, but what if, what if we do, let's say, hypothetically, we actually understand it all on April 26th. Okay, we got it all. But are you going to remember it all? You, you're gonna, are you going to be able to understand all the implications and remember them? What if you forget? If I'm the disciples, you want to take in everything Jesus is saying that night. But it's not as if you could get like an MP3 recording of it all. So you're listening very carefully like, I don't want to miss anything here. But what if I forget? They need some help, don't they? And grace comes always from God in the form of a person. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things. You don't understand? He's going to teach you. And he's going to bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. I appreciate the descriptions of the help that Jesus has promised. There's the helper. Last week we so one translation would be the true friend, the one who really helps, not just the promise of help, but really helps. The person of the Holy Spirit, the one that the Father sends. The one who comes with all the authority in the name of Jesus, he comes. This is amazing. You can imagine Jesus telling them this. Have you ever had those moments where you are giving someone a gift and maybe they don't even understand exactly what you're giving you know, you know what's implied in that. You're more excited than they are. Because you know, oh man, you, you don't even know what you've got. You don't, even as you're opening, you have no, no appreciation. This is going to change your life. I'm so, so excited to give that to you. I wonder if Jesus is smiling even as he says, the helper's coming. My father's going to send him to you. And you don't even know the help you're getting. Guys, you have no idea of what assurance and power you're going to have. You're politely nodding, saying, good, the helper's coming. You have no idea. You have no idea. The word everything and all is used twice in this verse. He's going to teach you everything, all things that you need, everything you need for a relationship with God, for you to grow in knowledge, change in your values and priorities and behavior and action and attitudes, everything. He's going to give you everything you need. And he's going to bring everything that I've said that you need to remember. You don't have to be afraid. These are such big promises. And here's how those promises even extend us. These disciples did write things down. They recorded even these conversations, the words of Jesus. They carefully recorded them. And then they passed them along. And then they were translated into an English language so I can read them. So when I'm reading them, I have the very words of Jesus. Jesus made good on this promise. And we have everything we need as well. What big promises? What is the result? It actually comes full circle because at the beginning I'm saying like, what could you say that would say you don't have to be filled with anxiety? What could you say that would bring peace? That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 27. 
I'm leaving you with peace. And I'm giving you my peace. And this is not as the world gives you. Yeah, that, that's not what I'm giving you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Peace, which is far more than the absence of warfare attention. What Jesus is saying is the benefits and blessings of God saving you are coming your way. Romans 5, we've been justified because we've been justified. We have peace with God through Jesus. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of peace. Jesus knows that his promise is here. He knows they can have the effect of settling our hearts down, giving us confidence and hope. Jesus says, I've got a gift for you. I'm in a position to give it to you. And it's peace. Peace, you can really, really have confidence that things are going to be okay. Jesus invites you to even make a comparison. Where else are you going to find this kind of peace? Where else are you going to find this kind of offer? You're going to go look somewhere in the world? What else in the world can give you peace? When you think of peace, could it, could it be altered? Could it be taken away? So go find another source. Try to buy into that. I, I guess there's a sense in which uh, a tyrant, a dictator could bring peace, like everybody behave, nobody get out of line. And everything just, I, I guess, I guess, would you call that peace? Or maybe there's a peace that you could have in one area of your life. But how in the world, how in the world would you assure you've got peace for like all areas and the future? Is there any source of peace in the world that would give that? I think that's what Jesus is inviting you. Or, or maybe you say, I am at peace right now. But could that change tomorrow? I think the best I could do would be, yeah, I mean, for the next few minutes, I've got some peace. But Jesus is promising something so much more. The world cannot give that level of confidence. Jesus doesn't promise that there will be no troubling circumstances. He doesn't hand out 11 magic wands to say, whenever you got a problem, you just, he doesn't do that. I think Jesus knows that it will be a war in our hearts to have peace. But he's helped us, right? The Father and Son love us. The Father and Son are united in living with us. And the Father and Son are united in speaking to us. And the Holy Spirit is actually taking all of that and confirming it and impressing it on our hearts. So the question is, do I believe it's true? Do I believe that Jesus is this true, this powerful, this good? Then I don't then I really don't have to be overwhelmed. And that's our choice today. As we close, can I, can I ask you to think about a question? And that is, what would put you on the road to experiencing that kind of peace? What's going to put you on the road? What I'm talking about is actually an encounter with the one who offered peace. What needs to happen? What needs to happen for you to have an encounter with that person? What needs to happen? Do you need to ask God for his peace? You may say, Curtis, I don't think I've ever asked God for anything. Yeah, I mean, we say our prayers, but really asking him for something, I don't know that I've ever asked him for anything. You know what Jesus doesn't tell you to do? He doesn't tell you to offer up promises of good behavior today. He doesn't tell you to go that route. 
But I think he would tell you, humble yourself and ask, acknowledge your sin, or maybe even acknowledge your self-righteousness, that you really thought, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. Acknowledge that that's not enough to bring peace. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge you need a savior. Acknowledge that you really need not just a savior, but Jesus as your savior. Maybe that's where you need to start. Or maybe you say, Curtis, I've done that. He is my savior. I know that. But I still feel anxious. Maybe what you need kind of put you on that road of experiencing that peace in a fresh way is to read through the book of John. Quiet your heart. Be ready to hear the words of Jesus that can actually create belief in us. Maybe you need to ask for his help. Like, Lord, take your words there and and just impress them on my heart. Or maybe you need to have a conversation with someone. Maybe you need a voice of another person reminding you of the truth that you're struggling to believe. Maybe you hear Jesus say peace and you're still going, I'm not sure, but another person might actually be God's means of help to you right now. Could you, could you make that call? I would say in these times, many people have more time for a phone call than they've had in a long, long time. We'd love to make that connection. If you want to reach out to the church, we'd love to have that conversation as well. Whatever it is, what's going to put you on that road so that you can listen to the words of Jesus and go, all right, I, I know trouble's all, all around me. But I also know this. I don't have to let my heart be overwhelmed with this trouble. Can I pray for you? Lord, I don't know exactly who I am praying for that's listening. But you know, and you know that they've listened all the way to this, the end of this. And I pray that you would give them grace and help. That you would be in maybe a thousand places at one time. Doing work that only you can do. Giving assurance and comfort. Giving peace. And Father, for the person that is just right on the edge of maybe taking a step of faith or reaching out or calling on you. I pray, Lord, it would be much more than good intentions today. But they would act, they would reach out, they would call, they would, they would pray, Lord, do this, give them the courage and confidence they need in this moment. Lord, what we know is when everything goes crazy, you are holding us. We thank you for your firm grip. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.